Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad that you're here as we continue our series, Bad Attitudes. Over the past weeks as we've been in this series, we've been looking at Old Testament bad attitudes. Figures in the Old Testament who looked at things the wrong way, whether it was following the Lord or simply ignoring him altogether. And, and the problems that they experienced and the issues with how they approached the world that relate to our own ways of approaching the world. Tonight, we're going to move into the New Testament, and we'll be looking there this week and next week, looking at some bad attitudes there as well. And once again, we see in these figures eerily similar parallels to our own lives. And so let's come before the Lord and ask that he would help us as we turn to the story of Felix tonight. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to see where we put our our value and our time into the wrong things, where we we place the things of this world above you? And would you help us to be directed to do the opposite, to see that our true value, our true worth, our true happiness comes in you? Lord, so often the things of the world draw us away, and yet we pray that you would guide us and that you'd help us to see what you'd have us to see in this passage and every day in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's reading about an interesting phenomena today. It's called the time-saving bias. If you're not familiar with it, I'd never heard of that particular term, although I had heard of the concept. It's the idea that we have a bias in how we understand the approaches we take to saving time, and in particular, the time we save by how fast or slow we drive. And so, for example, scientists surveying people's biases on this asked people to consider if they would save more minutes of time if they went from driving 10 miles an hour to 20, or if they'd save more time driving, say, 60 miles an hour and increasing to 70. And the majority of people would answer that they would have a larger increase in time, a higher percentage of time saved, if they went from 60 miles an hour to 70. What would you say? Maybe you'd like to leave it in the comments. Now, the way I've set that up, you probably are thinking it sounds like a trick question, and it also sounds like one of those awful trains going at different directions math problems that we all remember from school. And in a sense it is, but the the answer is you would save more time in a percentage-based sense going from 10 miles an hour to 20. The number of minutes saved in that difference would actually be greater, even though, yes, obviously it would take longer to get there since you're only going 10 or 20 miles an hour. The amount of gained time would be significantly higher. And yet, time and again, when people are asked, they favor the other answers. If you give different scenarios and so on, they'll keep biasing towards it. And the point of that study was that, generally speaking, that's how we think. We're going someplace and we're trying to weigh, should I speed? Should I go a little bit faster? Maybe I won't get caught. And and we're trying to go through all this process of how fast should I go? And we're not actually approaching it with clear eyes to what it's accomplishing. For example, if you were driving 90 miles an hour down the road because you were really late, and hopefully you're not doing that, but if you were and you're going 90 miles an hour and you think, well, I could go up to 100. If I do get caught, it's not going to make any difference. I'm I'm in big trouble either way. Do you realize that on a 10-mile drive, you'd only save 42 seconds? doesn't really sound worth it at that point, does it? And yet it feels like maybe in the moment, if you're really racing and you're feeling really late, wow, this is going to help. I'm going to go up to 100 miles an hour, triple digits. This is going to make a big difference. And in the moment, it feels like we're making this big improvement. But if we actually 
go and look at what we've accomplished, we didn't save that much. And then if we start weighing in other factors such as fuel efficiency of the car and, and the risk of being stopped and the percentage of time that we might be stopped and, and so on and so forth, it ends up actually being a negative choice. It doesn't accomplish what we thought we were going to accomplish. When we look at scripture, we see time and again that that's often how we approach a lot of things in life, not just how fast we drive. Obviously, we, we look in scripture and we don't see a lot of discussion on speed limits. It wasn't relevant in that time period. But the decision-making process that's flawed in us is just as there. We're, we're short-sighted. And in our short-sightedness, oftentimes that comes down to do we see the value in God's calling and law in our lives? Or, or do we look at it and think, well, I can shave off a little here. And yeah, it's not quite what God wants me to do. It's not quite where I should be, but I'm going to save so much time. And we're really just saving a few seconds. I think when we look at the life of Claudius Lysias and Felix, the two figures that factor into tonight's story, we see men straddling that line. They kind of know what's right, and they pass the buck. And that's something we see time and again. And certainly it happens, of course, in the life of Jesus, where neither Pilate nor Herod want to do the right thing and realize that Jesus shouldn't be convicted. And we see the same thing when Paul is accused. And that's where we pick up. We're turning to Acts chapter 24. And in Acts chapter 24, we're following Paul as he's been falsely accused by the Jewish leaders who see him as a threat to their power because he's teaching about the fulfillment of the Jewish law. And he's a Jewish teacher himself. And they say, well, people are going to start following Paul and then they're going to start following Jesus. And we don't want that. So they, they set up charges to, to neutralize him. Well, in that, first, Paul is questioned and imprisoned and put under the care of Claudius Lysias. And he realizes there's a problem so he passes the buck and he sends Paul on to Felix, the governor. And this is where it gets really interesting. And, and as we look here, at first we may actually feel some hope when we turn to Acts chapter 24, if we don't already know the story, because we look at Felix and it looks like he's actually interested in what Paul has to say. Let's take a look at the first verses tonight. Verse 24 of chapter 24. It says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So Paul is passed along by the Roman guard. He's sent over to the governors. The governor is at least somewhat interested because his wife is Jewish. And so he's hearing Paul out, but we're told at some point he becomes alarmed or it could be translated terrified. He, he doesn't like what he's hearing from Paul. And so he sends him away and says, I'll talk to you some other time. So what do we know about Felix? Well, we know a fair amount about Felix that we're going to explore tonight, but the first thing that we know as far as it comes to the gospel is that he's at least curious about it. A lot of the Romans had no interest at all. They, they said, we don't need to get into these matters of different Jewish, Jewish sects arguing over who the Messiah is. We don't care other than as long as they're not actually trying to install some new king. They're, you know, they don't believe in any of our gods. They're just kind of weird. We want nothing to do with them. That's how they viewed Jews and Christians. So... The fact that Felix is curious seems promising. 
The fact that his wife wants to be there and to hear Paul seems promising. But Paul takes his message to a place they don't want to hear. He's going to challenge them on their moral failings. And as we look at the story of Felix, we understand why that bothers him. You see, Felix thinks, oh, this is going to be interesting. The ancient world liked to hear different teachers coming and disputing things and talking about different ideas and so on. And, and he th probably thinks as Paul even starts to go into moral philosophy and so on. Oh, yeah, I've, I've heard different Greek teachers do this. And, and what Felix is looking for is like a tram ride at the zoo, you know, or the train at the zoo. He wants to hop on a little train. It's just going to go around the park. He can see some of the animals, take some pictures maybe. It's Good way to spend the afternoon. Maybe learn a few new things. Maybe be a slightly better person. He can feel good about himself as he, he works with Paul because he's listened to this new moral philosophy. However, he gets on this ride and he realizes it's not a tram ride, it's a roller coaster. Paul is going to actually speak about things that convict him. And, and in particular, much like we see in several other of the opposing figures in the New Testament's lives, the the challenge probably arises in Felix and Drusilla's marriage. The, the two of them have an interesting background. You see, Drusilla, who's probably about 20 years old at this time, had previously been married to a unimportant king in a nearby part of the Roman Empire. And he was a unimportant king. However, notably, while he was unimportant, he wasn't like a high-level governor like Felix, he actually had res enough respect for Drusilla that he had agreed to convert to Judaism before marrying her. Because, of course, as Scripture tells us, it's important for believers to marry believers, to, to, to be with someone who actually believes in the same God. And so this man had actually converted. And so it would seem like, it, while he was unimportant, he certainly understood what was important, and, and he had come to become Jewish. However, Drusilla apparently weighed this and looked at him and didn't see any room for advancement in life. He wasn't ever going to be an important leader in the Roman Empire. He wasn't ever going to have great wealth and power. And Felix convinced her to, to leave her husband and to marry him instead. He had no interest in converting to Judaism, and clearly she showed that her Judaism really wasn't all that important to her. Rather, what she saw in Felix was a ruthless and powerful leader who appeared to be advancing quickly in the Roman Empire. Felix had other family members who had the ear of the emperor, and, and things looked promising. And so here you see this really ugly situation where Felix wants Drusilla, and Drusilla doesn't want to be just stuck in some far-off, forgotten part of the Roman Empire. She wants power and money. And so that's the setting. So she's still Jewish, but she's clearly shown a willingness to compromise her moral values if it looks like it could advance her. And likewise for Felix. Felix was, much like many of the Roman governors, someone who wasn't afraid to shed blood. He wasn't really interested in the well-being of his people. What he was interested in was accumulating as much wealth and power and favor around the empire as possible so he could move up to a more important post and a more important post and so on. And he had already experienced some of that. He had been born a slave. His family was a, a family of slaves. And yet, through a series of circumstances and arrangements, they had managed to advance and become quite important. 
So here we have this setting. These are the people who are hearing Paul preach. And as they hear Paul preach, Paul is talking about the, the moral law, what God has called people to do, the conviction we feel in it, and the coming judgment. Now, most of the, the Greco-Roman world wasn't really thinking in terms of future judgment. They didn't think there was an ultimate God who who could come in and would weigh people morally. Their, their mythology around gods often had gods who, who weren't very moral themselves. But here Paul talks about the consequences of the things we do and, and how God will ultimately judge us. And he's, of course, leading them towards the cross where they, they're going to need a savior. They need someone who is going to take their sins and restore them. But they're terrified. You see, they knew what they had done was as wrong as anyone could see, and they didn't want to repent of that, and they certainly didn't want to repent of what they were going to do in the future to pull themselves up so that they could ultimately be important in the empire. They're going to keep going. They're going to keep pulling so that they could get to where they thought they wanted to be. Paul starts to talk about things that are hard. Paul starts to challenge them and their actions and suggests that maybe there are actually consequences to the things they do other than what they might get in trouble for if the emperor is displeased. There's actual consequences in the, the overall overarching universe from God. And they don't like that because you see, they, they, they want what they can do. That's a quick fix that would allow them to experience worldly success. We all want the quick fix, don't we? We all want the thing that's going to pull things together in the moment. And sometimes we're confronted to that in, in big ways in life. Sometimes it's smaller things. For example, a couple months ago, I received a shipment that was incorrect that the merchant didn't want back. I got to keep it. And it's a, a little drawer uh, set. It has drawers and it's on, on wheels. And, and um, it'd be really useful. I have lots of things I could put in it. But uh, right now it's not very useful. You see, I, I, this is part of it because it came in lots of pieces. And this one, as you can see, is still wrapped up even. Uh, there's lots of pieces to it. And, and the problem is, while I know it would be really quite useful, I, I look at all those pieces and I think, boy, that's a lot of pieces to assemble. I, I, I'll assemble it some other time. And so instead of actually being useful, it actually becomes a hindrance because you have all these pieces laying around and nothing assembled. And in reality, much like that decision on how fast to drive, putting together these pieces in the grand scheme of things wouldn't take that long, but I look at the directions and all the pieces and it seems kind of intimidating. Sometimes when we look at what God's called us to do, it looks kind of intimidating too, doesn't it? Because it's challenging and, and not in the sense that we're going to earn it on our own, but as we're called into God's holiness, and as we, we ask the Spirit to, to change the way we do things, we know it's going to complicate things from the way that the world likes to do things. We, we look at it and we think, but, but I, I, I might have to pass up opportunities in the moment that seem like they could advance me. I might have to pass up things that could help me right now. It, it, people are going to think I'm weird because I'm trying to follow what God's called me to do. And we start to think, there's an awful lot of parts, God, to this life that you talk about. And yeah, I, I, I know that you're going to, you're the one that saves me and your spirit's the one that's going to give me the strength, but there's just too many parts here. And it starts to feel a little bit intimidating. And I think in a very real sense, that's what Felix is experiencing that moment. That's what Drusilla is experiencing that moment. Because 
she knows the moral law. And as Paul's talking, she's reminded of how far she's deviated from it. She doesn't want the savior that's going to require her to change her ways. And yet without it, this judgment that he's talking about is quite frightening. And so we see ultimately, while Felix will in fact give Paul additional audiences, he will talk to Paul again. Drusilla never does. Why? Because she doesn't want to face all the parts. She doesn't want to face her life and be challenged on what it looks like to follow the Lord. And it deteriorates from there. You see, while, while in that moment, clearly Felix is feeling the conviction of what Paul's saying, once he's able to push Paul away, he doesn't really have to face that so much, and he can prepare himself for the next time he's going to encounter Paul. That's what we see if we look on in verse 26. Says of Felix, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent him, sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So for these years here, Paul is lingering. And why does Felix let him linger and talk to him every so often? Well, well, Felix is hoping that if he keeps calling Paul, Paul's going to get tired of just waiting in prison, and he's going to call on his friends, and Felix knows that Paul has friends, and those friends have some access to money, and maybe they'll offer Felix enough of a bribe that Felix can say, okay, I'll let you go. You see, Felix goes from feeling the conviction of God's law to pushing that away to then reducing the opportunity to learn about the gospel to an opportunity to extort money. And there we're seeing the, the bare reason, I believe, that Felix was terrified by this, why he was troubled by what Paul was saying, because he wanted to be able to continue to seek after money. He wanted to continue to be able to seek after power. And he knew if he actually believed what Paul said, if he actually held on to it, he wouldn't be able to do those things. It's not that he couldn't be a governor still, he wouldn't, or he couldn't earn money still, but he certainly couldn't be extorting people still. He couldn't make all the moral compromises necessary to advance himself in the ranks of power in the Roman Empire. And time and again, that's the trap that we fall into. We, we, it may be different for each of us, but each of us have those things that we really wish we could just compromise on because it might advance us. We see this in the prophets. In Isaiah 33, 6, Isaiah talks to the people as they face an invasion and says of God, he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And yet, just a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at King Hezekiah and, and how he wrestled with what alliances he could make and what wealth he could accumulate to have enough power and security to face the invading force. He wasn't ultimately rooting his comfort in the Lord's foundation. We saw that with Manasseh. We see that over and over again in Scripture. We see that in Felix as well. He's, he's looking at this little bit of time in, in front of him and thinking, well, I can't advance to the most important ranks I think I can achieve in the Roman Empire fast enough if, if I am actually going to follow this way, the Christian faith, that Paul's talking about. Instead, Felix would rather try to cater to the Jews and the Jewish leaders, that is. Paul's obviously a Jew as well, but he's catering to the religious leaders that oppose Paul because he thinks maybe that can somehow help. And he, he has some falling 
outs with the Jewish leaders and with the people that he's governing. And so he sees this as a convenient way by antagonizing Paul and leaving him in prison to maybe stabilize them so it can be said he kept a, a nice ship and everything was going well and he should be advanced. He, he thinks he, he somehow is accumulating political capital. He thinks he's accumulating literal capital. He's think, he thinks he's achieving status in society. And here's the, the thing that we know about Felix that he didn't know, but it shows us the problem of what he was doing there. You see, Felix thought he was advancing himself in the kingdom of the world and that that was what was important, that he would be happy if he did that. And yet we know something about Felix, which is that ultimately he's going to be removed from his post because he couldn't actually run it well, because the people rebelled and Rome finally had enough. He thought he was buying the favor of the people while also getting them to bribe him, and it was going to come apart. He had this opportunity for something that would actually be lasting, and yet he held on to something that he thought was valuable instead. So often that's what we do. What if I told you that that I have a box, a cardboard box, that has $15,140 in it? And in fact, I bet that you have a cardboard box with $15,140 in it too. In fact, many of us have multiple boxes of $15,140 tucked in our house. What would you say? You'd say, well, tell me where it is so I can go get this $15,000. I can't believe you just throw $15,000 in a cardboard box. And so if I said, well, let me start describing it to you, you might start looking around for this cardboard box thinking, if only I could find this, this would, I would be all set. I start describing the shape of the box. It's about this this wide, about this this tall, and about uh, this thick. Maybe has some other pieces in it that aren't of, of great value, and it also has deeds to some properties in it. And I'd start describing more and more, and eventually you'd realize that I was describing a box that contains the game Monopoly, because at least until two thousand eight, I think it's actually more now. Inflation even has hit the Monopoly game. But at least until that point, it had $15,140 in it. So if you have an old Monopoly game lying around, you have that money in there. But I bet you're not going to go race into the other room and grab your box of Monopoly, are you? Because that money isn't actually worth anything. It's not going to buy you anything. It'll buy you a fun time if you're playing Monopoly with other people. But it's, it's not going to buy anything in this world because it's just monopoly money. We actually use that term to refer to things that aren't worth anything, because while it says it's worth something, we know it's not. You see, Felix, in his encounter with Paul, is playing with monopoly money. Paul is offering heavenly treasure. He's offering an opportunity for Felix to advance to the ultimate kingdom, to be a part of the family of the ultimate king. But Felix thinks about his situation. He's looking at it in terms of how can I advance to a more important position in my relationship to the emperor? How can I advance in this kingdom and have status and, and appear on the important magazines and everyone's going to want to have something to do with me and I'll get interviewed in all the TV talk shows and, and, and everyone will list me as the greatest leader in the empire and maybe someday if everything goes right, maybe I'll form some alliances and I actually could be emperor. That, that's the sort of thing that's running in his head and I think in Drusilla's head. Paul's going to get in the way of that. Paul's going to challenge them because he's saying, all that's worthless, but all this stuff that you're doing to sneak more and more of that money, you're, you, you've hidden extra Monopoly money under the board and you're pulling it out to try to advance yourself in the game. Well, not only is that money worthless, the whole game that you're playing is worthless. 
What you should be worried about is that God's going to judge you. And while he's going to offer you mercy, he's calling you to follow him and not follow the ways that you've been following. And Felix and Drusilla are, are confronted in that moment. Are the things that they've been pursuing, are the ways that they've built their life, things that they're going to hold on to, they're going to hold on to something better. As they look at that, they say, we're going to hold on to the things that we've been valuing because we can see that advancement. You know, when you're playing a game of Monopoly in the moment, if you get really into it, and I, when I play a game like that, I get really into it. For the moment, it feels like, wow, I'm building my empire here of all these hotels, and you see this neat system going, and, and you start to have a lot of fun because everybody's paying you all kinds of money because you, you've taken over the board, if it's gone well for you, at least. If you, it hasn't, it's not so much fun. But, but you're having all this fun with it. But what happens when you put the game away? It's all over. It seemed like you were building all these advancements, but, but you realize when you pack it up and you put the little pieces back in their baggie and you stack the dollars and, and put them in their little box again and you fold up the board and put it in, all of it was just a momentary enjoyment at best. That's all we expect from a board game. We need to ask ourselves the question, are the things that I'm racing towards in life, are they things that are leading me towards God's kingdom and his fulfillment, or am I racing towards things that are as passing as a game of Monopoly? That when the board of my life is folded up, there's nothing there. Felix made the wrong choice there. At least as far as we know. Of what we know of Felix, he, he never went back and thought about what Paul said and became a believer. Now, if you're listening tonight, I know many of you have already made that decision, and yet we're challenged even in that. Because the temptation is, as we follow God, we, we still sort of put him aside at times and pull out that board and start thinking that monopoly money is a value. And we miss out on all the joy and the value that we can find in God's kingdom. And so each day as a believer, we need to still ask the question, am I playing with monopoly money? Or am I doing the things of the kingdom? Am I seeking how God is going to use me in my life to advance his kingdom and see true heavenly treasure stored up as more people know him and, and as his kingdom is ushered forth and people know more about the God who loves them and cares for them and has grace for them. Now, maybe you've never experienced that. And if that's the case, and, and as you're thinking about this, you say, well, it sounds like you're saying I'm just playing with the Monopoly game. And so you're saying that everything in my life isn't of value. And that's not it at all. You see, the problem for Felix wasn't that he was governor. He could have remained governor. In fact, how amazing would it have been if he'd come to believe and then used his position that he did have for God's glory? Wherever you are today, there are things in your life that God can use for his glory and for heavenly treasure purposes. But the first step is to realize that money that we value so much, the, whether it's power or success or recognition or popularity or or, what, or ease, or whatever it might be, that those things are passing as much as that monopoly money. And to instead say, I want something more. And when, when we allow God's word to start peering into our hearts and we feel him convicting the ways that we take those shortcuts and we're just holding on to those things that aren't worth anything, we say, I want that. Even when it's terrifying, I want that because I want God to work in my life. Where are those places where where we aren't doing that right now. So 
sometimes it's the very worldly things and sometimes it's where we're importing the world into the church and we we wrap it up in pretty churchly terms and, and actions so it looks pretty good and yet we're still doing the same thing we all ask the question that felix should have asked in that moment which is why am i valuing these passing things when i could instead hold on to heavenly and we know that God is waiting there for us to take on his, his treasure that he gives us instead. Would you join me in prayer? Father, so often it's tempting, and it's more than tempting, it's, it's something that we can't resist acting upon to, to grab onto the things of the world, to grab onto the security of the world, to grab onto the hopes of the world. And even if in somehow in our head we know that these things won't ultimately satisfy, we, we convince ourselves in the moment, just like in the middle of a game, we convince ourselves that we're taking over the world by, by winning at Monopoly. But Lord, may, may we see the passing nature of these things and instead hold on to the things of you. When you confront us with your Holy Spirit, whether it's for the first time or it's your Spirit working our lives after years of following you, and when we... We feel terrified because we feel that that confronting of your spirit and it seems inconvenient in the moment because we want to go our own way. May we not just send your spirit off and, and wait for something that seems more fitting for our, our own goals. But may we allow your spirit to, to move us towards you, to refine us. And in that, to experience heavenly treasure, the grace that you give us, not because of our works, but because of your love. May we each and everyone listening tonight experience that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this series has been encouraging to you and that tonight was encouraging to you. And if you know someone else who would be encouraged by it, please consider sharing this video on your social media, sending an email to someone, inviting someone over and saying, let's watch this together and think about where we're storing our treasures. It really does help when you like and share these videos, you subscribe to our social media. You can be a part of spreading the heavenly treasure we find in God's word. And you can do that also by being a part of other things going on at Little Hills Church. There's so much going on. This week we have men's Bible study on Thursday at 7 p.m. We have our weekly Psalm series that will be posted once again on Saturday morning and you can watch anytime you'd like on the weekend. And then our in-person worship once again on Sunday at 5.30. I hope that you avail yourself of these opportunities because they're wonderful places to come to look at the treasure that God has, has given us in his word and the encouragement that we receive when we study it together and through that to be more like him and to grasp onto more of what he values. I hope you'll also join me next Monday night as we have our final bad attitude to look at as we turn back once again to the New Testament and wrap up this series. I can't wait to share that with you. If there's any prayers or questions that you have tonight, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. It's always a joy to hear from you. And I can't wait to see you hopefully later this week and then here again next week.